You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. All right, so we are continuing our series, God Is. And what we're looking at is the different attributes of God. And so the point of this series is this, that the more that you understand who God is, the more that you understand your purpose in life, the more you understand how to deal with trials, how to deal with suffering, how to deal with whatever type of news that comes to you, at you, whatever life throws at you, whatever wave, whatever it is, that you would understand how to react and that you would remember whom you serve, that you would remember whom knows your name, which is our God, our Father. And so we've looked at different attributes. We've seen God as Father, God as faithful, God as omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. We've seen God as just all these different attributes. And so if you miss it, you can go back and listen. We have a podcast, Spotify, Apple. You can go listen. But uh, overall, is the more you understand God, the better you understand your place in life. So this week we are talking about how God is omniscient. And really, it's a really big, fancy word meaning God is all-knowing. Uh, essentially, that he's all-knowing. He has all knowledge. He cannot learn anything new. Nothing surprises him. And he cannot learn because he decreed it all. So this is the God whom we serve. Last week, we talked about how he is all-powerful. This week, how he has all-knowledge. And so there isn't anything. God never, because he never changes, he can never learn anything new. And so we see that all of his attributes work together. And so this week, we're saying, okay, what does it mean for us that God has all-knowledge? How does that affect our life? So if we go to Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36, this one will be on the screen. Uh, If you want to turn to your Bibles after this to Luke chapter 7, we will be reading that because it won't be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you. If you see it in your eyesight and nobody's grabbed it, you're feel free to get up. Nobody will think you're weird and just grab the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Uh, But if we go to Romans 11 and we start in verse 33, it says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is our God. This is our God, the depth in the, of the riches and wisdom and knowledge. I mean, it's endless. Paul is saying, hey, our God knows all, and we can find rest in this. And so the first thing I want to say is because God knows, uh, knows everything, he knows our hearts. He knows our true motives of why we do what we do. So if we, uh, Psalm 139, as Alina read for us, right, he says, the psalmist says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows our thoughts from afar. He says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Meaning, He's saying, just to try to grasp who our God is, 
is nearly impossible for us because he is infinite and we are not infinite, right? God is omniscient and we're not. And so a lot of times we don't have the answers to some of life's biggest problems, but instead we know the one who does and we rest in that. So we go to Proverbs 21.2. It says this, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. You may think your motives are good for why you're doing it, but the Lord sees why you're doing it all together. He sees past it all. He sees your ulterior motives. Psalm 44, verse 20 through 21. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. God knows your heart. You may fool those around you, but you cannot fool God. You see, we may fool ourselves, but God knows what we're really up to. He knows our true self, the one that nobody knows. God knows that person. So then we check our pride all the time and say, God, help me to think about this, to do this, to love this person, to work for my boss, even though I can't stand it. But let it be for your glory because you see my heart. You see that I'm really bitter. You see that I'm not really wanting to glorify you. So God, help me to glorify you. Help me to want to desire you because deep down, right, if you're honest, a lot of us don't really desire God. We say on the outside because we know that we need to, but deep down, how many of us actually desire the Lord above all else? So let's look at God's knowledge affects the way that we think about the future, even our kids' future one day as well, right? Because it's, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, of worry of, of whatever, but if you think back, like everybody had some sort of big events happen in their lifetime from the beginning of time where it's like, we don't know what the world's going to look like, but us as Christians, we have something that the world doesn't, right? We have this foundation because Isaiah 48 verse 3 tells us this. This is God speaking. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. God has declared all things. Nothing catches him off guard. And so we know that in the same way that we exist today, no matter what the world has happened, right? All the World War I, World War II, you go past that, like all the bubonic plagues go past that to the Israelites and the Gentiles. Yet God has kept the world spinning because he is omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and he is holding this earth together. And so we rest in that when the future looks scary. And then if we go to a few more verses, Isaiah 48, verses 5 through 6, it says this. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you. This is God speaking. So that you could not say my images brought them about by what an image and metal God ordained them. Meaning he's saying you cannot give this glory to anything else, no idols, nothing. It wasn't you that did this. It was me. I declared it. I'm the one that said this is going to happen the way that it happened. It wasn't any of your false gods as Isaiah is talking to the people of Judah and Israel. And then verse 6, you have heard these things, look at them all, will you not admit them? From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. So need I remind you today that all of God's attributes are always working at once, right? In the moments that he may withhold his all-powerfulness where he could have stopped something, yet in that same time, he withheld it because of his omniscience, because his purpose, God knows what needs to happen for the grand plan of redemption to happen. And so God may withhold 
withhold stopping some sort of trial or suffering in your life in order that his grand plan of redemption can happen. Right? There was one pastor, uh, Jamie, showed me a video where he said, in the same way that if you give a kid everything that he ever asked for, it'll be a spoiled kid and it's the worst thing for them. He's like, then what is the difference between you and your relationship with God? You see, God knows what you really need. You may think you need this. You may think whatever, but God knows what you need, as we'll talk about later in Matthew 6. You see, no matter the trial or the suffering, we find more comfort in God knowing this trial won't be forever, but he is forever, and we will be with him forever. And that's what we hold on to, right? In the, in the moments that are most dark in our life, in the valley of the shadow of death, right, we know our God sees us, hears us, knows what's going on, and is in complete control altogether. So we, as James would say, counted as pure joy when we face trials, not if, but when we face trials of many kinds, because there we get more of God. Trials remind us that we were created for him and we need him. And as St. Augustine or Augustine, whatever you say, said back in the 200s, 300s, right? We are restless until we find our rest in him. You see, when we can rest in God's knowledge, rest in God's omnipotence, rest in God's, you know, self-sufficientness, when we can rest in God's faithfulness, then we can really rest. Until then, we'll be restless. So his knowledge of all things should bring us hope and security. Nothing catches our God off guard. Now, let's look at how God's knowledge affects the way that we pray. In Matthew 6, verse 8, it says this, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Essentially, right before this, he was saying how the righteous Pharisees at the time were lifting up many words and praying out loud so everybody can see them. But he's saying, don't be like them. Jesus says, don't be like them. You don't need to say those many words, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then, right after this, he goes into the Lord's Prayer. He says, instead, pray like this. And so we go to Matthew 6, verse 9. It says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, he knows what we need before we even have to ask. He's been working on it without us even knowing. So for those who don't know, long story short, when I first got here, I told some of y'all, but we had an AC unit go out completely. And so the one over here that's blowing cold air and made it feel good as you walked in uh, was completely gone, wasn't working when I came here in January. And so we had to get it replaced. Well, long story short, there was a guy who came to the church, visited once, and then later on he called me and said, hey, I love what y'all are doing. I want to be able to help out whatever needs are there. And I was like, great, man, this is great. So at the time, I had no clue we needed a new AC. I assumed it was just working because it felt good in here. Well, then the next day, the very next day after that phone call, Brother Larry comes to me and says, hey, we need a new AC in this over here. I was like, you got to be kidding me. ACs aren't cheap. So then the, I, I told him before the phone call, hey, our ministry partner, Wonder Woman Outreach, they need a few things. I'll find out, and then I'll get back to you. So I called him back. I said, hey, this is what they need. 
by the way, I was, I was like, I do not want to bring this up. This seems like so weird. I was like, but by the way, our AC went out and we need to buy a new AC. I just want to let you know. He's like, did you get a quote? I said, yeah. I was like, it's $9,000. And he was like, or no, it was $8,000. And he goes, I can get you a new AC. I was like, what? Like, I looked at Jamie. She sat next to me and I was like, no way. So we talk a little bit at the end of the conversation because I didn't believe it. I was like, hey, by the way, don't forget, whatever you give, we'll love it, right? We'll appreciate it. So I was like, don't forget, don't forget. So a few days goes by, and then he texts me. It's the Saturday before Easter, and he says, hey, I sent you something. And I was like, I was expecting $2,000. I was like, that's a big deal. I was like, $2,000. So I go, and I look, and he sent us $9,000. And so we paid for the AC, no problem. And, and, and then, so I tell you that to tell you that, this AC, while I was a little warm by the donuts, went out last week, and compressor blown, I got a quote, is for 4400 and I, I, I was like, oh, man, so before I got the quote, I met this guy, and we were talking, and we just kind of, you know, talked, and, and he heard about the ministry, and he's never come to church here, and so he texted me that, or he texted me earlier, or later the week, said, hey, I want to give money to your church, and I was like, Sweet. He goes, I want to give you $1,000. And I had no clue that the AC was going to cost $4,400 at this time. I was still waiting on the quote. And so I tell you this because I am nothing special. But instead, Jesus, at the end of this passage, he says, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added unto you. And I tell you that this church, our goal is just to seek the Lord because he knows what we need before we ask. And I never asked once, God, fix this AC. God, this AC is about to go. I never knew both times, and yet God was working, moving, without me knowing to take care of this problem. So I joke with Brother Larry that now we're going to have two ACs for brand new for $3,000 because the Lord has provided the rest. So if you want to give to the rest, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but the Lord has provided, and so we trust him, and we're just like, Lord, we're just going to pursue after you. And in the same way is that you can pursue the Lord and live a holy life and love those around you, even in the midst of you not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, because God is good, and he provides. And so we trust that, and that's why we trust that God is omniscient, and we run to that. So we pray as if we know that he knows our needs. We then focus on what he wants us to focus on, which is his kingdom come. We know he is the supplier of our daily bread. And then Jesus goes into, in verse 12, he says, so right after that, he goes into verse 12 and he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so the big idea for today's sermon is this. The big idea for taking notes is that because God is omniscient, if God is omniscient, then he knows all, and then we can confess our sins to him. So that's the big idea, is if God knows all, he knows your sins, he knows everything you're going through, then because he knows the things that you don't even want to bring up to him, he knows about them, he knows about your heart, he knows about the skeletons, he knows so then we can confess our sins to him. 1 John 1, 9 through 10 tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Actually, verse 8. Uh, if you want to go 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, it says this. Did I put it on there? 
No? Okay, it's all right. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so because God knows all, we know the word tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So if we confess, God, I'm a sinner. God, this is a sin in my life. God, I'm struggling with this. God, I'm dealing with this. And you see it. You know. And so, Lord, I need help with this, right? But for too long and too often, our goal is let me shove this aside. Let me tuck it under the rug. Let me not mention it. Let me, let me act like it, it doesn't exist. And yet it eats at us day in and day out because why? We haven't confessed it to the Lord. And so it's rotting away at us like rust. It's rotting away at us like mold underneath the house, right? It's destroying us slowly because we, for some reason, are afraid to bring it before God, but yet he knows about that sin. He knew about it when he sent Jesus on the cross, and yet he died for you despite you not willing to confess it. So he's just saying, confess it, and you will find forgiveness for that sin and freedom and relief from it. And this is what he's offering to everybody who's here is, hey, I know, I see it. I know that part of you that nobody knows about. I know about it, and I want to bring healing to that because he knows. You see, about this passage, there's a guy named Cole Farney. He's a pastor from Kansas City. And this is what he says about this passage we just read. He says, those without sin don't need a savior. And those who think they are sinless have no savior. The greatest deception is thinking that your sin doesn't exist. And therefore, God is pleased with you no matter what. Some will even teach everybody goes to heaven in the end. Would God really punish you for your sin? The Bible teaches that God most certainly will punish those who sin. But hear this. He writes, God is faithful and merciful to forgive the sins of those who admit them, but not the sins of those who deny that they have them. Are you a confessor or denier? Not everyone receives forgiveness for sins, only confessors, only believers, only those who lay their sin down upon the cross of Jesus, not the one who says, I have no sin. Right, so you see the difference that he's saying, just admit it, because God knows about it, He already seen it, he watched you do it, and yet he still offers forgiveness for that sin in Christ Jesus. So just confess it and then have the blood of Jesus applied to your life, right? And then you can live in freedom knowing that that sin is paid for and confessed and brought before the Lord, saying, God, I need you in this. We confess because he already knows. We confess knowing we have forgiveness waiting for those sins. How freeing is it when we know we wrong somebody and we don't, they don't even know that we wrong them, right? We don't know that they know it, but yet they love us and they care about us and they, they've provided for us, right? Could have been a parent, could have been somebody that we hurt immensely and yet we think they didn't know about it and so then we feel so bad, right, that we're like, hey, I can't take this. I can't deal with this. Hey, I did this and it was sinning against you and they're like, I know. And you're like, what? Like, you knew? And they're like, yeah, I knew the whole time. I watched you do it. And you're like, but what about this? And what about that? Why did you do it? And he's like, because I love you. Right? How much more our Father in heaven, who knows what we've done, knows the life that we don't really live, knows the life we live on Sunday and the things we say on Monday, 
knows everything, and yet he pursues us, and he's pursuing you right now as you're sitting. This is why you're here today. Believe it or not, this is why you're here, so that God can let you know that your sins that you are so ashamed of, that you are so afraid to deal with, were dealt with at the cross. He knows the thoughts you've had, do have, and will have, and yet still pursues you all the more. He knows. And any excuse you have for why you don't deserve it, why you shouldn't be here, he knows that too. And he's saying, I'm going to step over that excuse. Because in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9, it tells us this. Verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. We were all dead in our sins. We were all walking in according to the world, right? But among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, right? Verse 4, love this verse. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We were deep in our sins. And I'll remind you this every single week because we must be reminded that we were nothing without God. And yet God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive. And so the question is this, what is in your life that God knows about, but no one else does that you haven't brought to God this morning? What's in your life that nobody knows about, nobody knows, it's just you and whoever this person was, maybe it was years ago, whatever it was, what is in your life that God and this person are the only one that knows, or you're the only one that knows, and you need to bring that before God this morning? What do you need to confess to the Lord today about? Because you can confess these things to the Lord knowing forgiveness is waiting for you. Because Paul then continues and says, by grace you have been saved. Right? This is why we say grace is amazing. Right? In the same way why we sing the song Amazing Grace. Everybody knows that song. right? It's like everybody in America knows that song Amazing Grace. But most people don't understand where that song came from. Most people don't know the story behind the song. And so the, the guy who wrote it, his name was John Newton, not to be confused with Isaac Newton, right, the gravity guy. Uh, so his name was John Newton, and he was a slave trader back in the 1700s. So John Newton was a slave trader, and he, in the, in the, they tell us that he openly mocked God in religion. He could not stand religion. He hated God. He completely was against it. No, he did not care for it whatsoever. And so one day, John Newton finds himself uh, on a ship because he was part of the British Navy, and he was a sailor, right, sailing, moving slaves back and forth at this time. And so he's on a ship, and he's experiencing a storm like he's never experienced before. And he 
He had been on through many storms. And so he's known the worst of the worst, but this one was so bad, we know, because it brought him to his knees on the boat that night or that day. They probably didn't know which one it was. And he prayed to the Lord and pleaded for his life. The one who mocked God, who made fun of God, who hated God, who had no desire whatsoever, was living in rebellion. Yet in this moment, the storm was so bad that he knew his only help was going to come from this God that he mocked. And so he prayed and he prayed. And so the story continues and it tells us that that night or that day that he was working whatever station he was at on the boat. And so then he was relieved and he switched with another guy on the boat. And so that the one who died that night was the guy who switched with John Newton. All the other sailors lived except for that guy who passed away. And so John Newton, after that, the story history tells us that he continued to, to still trade slaves until about six years. And then he started to attend God was working on his heart, and that seed was planted that night, and so God was working on his heart, and he started to attend seminary and became a pastor, and so later on, as he learned more about his theology and more about God, right, as what we're talking about today, the more you understand God, the more you understand your purpose, is that the more he understood, then one day as he was preaching, he wrote Amazing Grace to accompany one of his sermons, as we'll sing later, too, uh, together. So now let's now let's... Imagine that's the story. So now let's read the lyrics, and you'll start to see how much more they mean than just amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It says this, amazing grace. I'm not going to sing. Trust me. You would leave. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He knew he was dead in his sins. And that's why he says a wretch. He knew he was a slave trader. Right, so we continue. I, was, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And it was grace that taught my heart to fear, fear the Lord, fear the understanding that he was going to die without God. And so he pleaded for the Lord that night, right? And then grace, the same grace that taught him to fear was the same grace that his fears were relieved, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home, and grace will lead us home. See, when he writes, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I can imagine him reminding himself of that night on the ship when he thought all was lost. And that God saved him. And then he wrote this song not knowing that it was going to be one of the most famous hymns that we sing today in churches. You see, this grace is what causes us to be in awe of Jesus. And it's this understanding of grace that teaches us to forgive. Did you catch that? This amazing grace is what keeps us in awe of Jesus and the fact that he saved a wretch like me and like you. And it's the same grace that teaches us to forgive. And this is not an easy subject. I had, I, no joke, I had five pastors in the area praying for us this morning, knowing that this is not an easy topic. And all the elders of Living Grace were praying too. Because forgiveness is not easy. Confession's already hard. Forgiveness is a lot harder for some people. 
You see, grace doesn't leave you to stay the same. This amazing grace should cause us to move in a whole different direction, right? We were headed one way in life, one way down the road, and yet God saved us. God opened our eyes. That, that moment that grace appeared to us, it now turns us around, and we live a whole different life, right? That should be is that we were dead in our sins, and now we're made alive. We were an old creation, and now we're made new. We were lost, and now we're found. We were headed one way, and now we're headed a completely different way, and so this amazing grace should cause us to hate the sin in life we once lived in. And one of the ways is that it causes us to forgive those who once did us wrong. And this is amazing grace for that reason. It brings us back to the Lord's Prayer where we ask God, it says, where we ask God to forgive as we have forgiven those, right? In verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus was very clear here. So if you turn to Luke 7, I want us to read a story here in Luke 7. Uh, if y'all want to turn to your Bibles or on your phone, Luke 7, verses 36 through 48. And I'll give you all a second to uh, get that. Verses 36 through 48. 36 through 48, whatever translation you want to use, uh, we'll be fine. All right, so let's start in verse 36. Luke 7, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, really expensive perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, meaning if this Jesus were true, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Essentially, they believe that if somebody unclean, a sinner touched you, they would like rub their sin all over you. That's not how it works, right? So we keep going. Jesus answered him. I love this story. Simon, I have something to tell you. And he says, tell me, teacher. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And so what do we take from that story? We forgive because we've been forgiven much. 
You see, our debt, right, your sin didn't just make you a bad person and you're trying to do a bunch of good things. No, our debt, our sin made us enemies with God, the Bible tells us, enemies of the creator of the universe. And not just that, we were children of wrath. We were lost and Jesus yet nailed those sins to the cross. And so we could do nothing to forgive the debt we were in with God. And this is why Paul says, it is by grace that you have been saved, not by your own doing, so no one may boast. He's saying it is by grace and grace alone. And so because you've been forgiven much and you've been forgiven this debt, you can never pay. How much more should you forgive this person who is not God and who did you a little wrong? And I'm not saying whatever you went through was not right or anything like that or that you didn't go through a hard time. What I'm saying, though, is that the more that I understand what Jesus teaches about forgiveness, I used to say, and I've even said it here, that forgiveness is a process, meaning you have to start, maybe your starting point is, God, help me to start to want to forgive this person, right? God, help me to want to start to, right? But then the more that I prepare for this message, the more that I see that that's nowhere in Scripture, what does Jesus say? Forgive, right? And then he says, you pray this prayer to our Father, God, forgive us as we have forgiven. For if we do not forgive, then we show that we have not been forgiven. And it shows that we don't love, and it shows that we don't know Christ. And it shows that maybe you're not even a Christian at all if the ability to forgive does not exist in you. And Jesus says, forgive because your debt was way bigger, way bigger than anything this person did against you because they sinned against a human being whereas we sinned against the holy God where we were deserving of his wrath and we were enemies and yet he sent Jesus to die for you. You see, I used to say it was a process, but when I look at my forgiveness through Jesus, that he planned to die for me before the world began, right? The Bible tells us that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. So he was always plan A in this story. He was always plan A in the whole realm of the world. He was always plan A. And so God planned everything out so that I can have forgiveness. Then when we were saved, Right, and forgiven of our sins, we became sons and daughters of God most high. And now the Bible even tells us that we're co-heirs with Christ. His 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 uh what is it? I can't think of the word. His inheritance is our inheritance. What Jesus is, is, is getting one day, we're getting with him. We are co-heirs with Christ. This is what we've been given. And so God says, you've been forgiven and given all of this and from somebody being, and yet we withhold forgiveness from somebody because we feel like what they did is greater than what we did against God. And that's not the truth at all. You see, it's the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we have forgiven. So really, we're saying, God, forgive me this sin because I did the same. I forgave them. See, I believe that sometimes the problems and trials we go through in life stem from a grudge or lack of forgiveness for someone. I believe that. Not all. I didn't say all. I believe that some trials, some problems that we deal with in life stem from the fact that we have not forgiven somebody 
truly. We've said it once, but deep down, we hope something comes right back to them. We've said it, but deep down, we hope that they never get anything good. We say it, but deep down, we still hold this grudge and we hold it over their head as if we want to use it to overpower them. But yet, when we look at our Father, our God in heaven, he does none of that. He holds nothing over our heads. If anything, he says, you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven. I paid for your sins. Read Hebrews, right? This Jesus is the once for all sacrifice of all time. No more sacrifices needed because the animal sacrifices couldn't take away sin. But Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, took away all sin. Our sin was nailed to the cross. He reconciled us to the, to the Father. Like There is so much that God is offering us, and yet... We withhold forgiveness because of something somebody did to us. You see, forgiveness is so important, and it's one of the major parts of our salvation. We have been forgiven. We've been forgiven. Our sins, our shortcomings, our mess-ups, even the ones you don't even know you're going to commit, Jesus paid for those sins too. That's why he's once for all, he paid for all sins. How much then should this cause us to be patient with every person we come in contact with? How much should it cause us to love them? Right, because if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Some of the people that have hurt us didn't even know what they were doing. Some did. And yet, how much more our Savior on the cross, right? He was there bleeding, suffocating, dying. And those whom he looked were those that were just pierced and nailed him to the cross and calling him names. And yet he can stand there with sin about to bear on his back, about to be separated. Somehow we understand that from the, his father from the first time in all of eternity. And yet he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who has put you on a cross? Who has nailed you to a cross? Who has put the sins of the world on your back? See, the Christian experience of forgiveness should be way different than the world. The Christian experience of forgiving those that wronged us should look completely different than the world. And I stand here being wronged by, believe it or not, the people who have wronged me the most are people who are preaching on a stage right now. And yet, I pray that God blesses them and God would restore them and God would use them to move his kingdom forward because they're a sinner just like me. If anything, I may be far worse than what they did to me. And it took me a while, right? That first, that first time, it was hard because I would pray, God, I forgive them, and right? But sometimes I didn't really mean it. I'd say, God, help me to forgive them, but God, I forgive them. And God bless them, and God, let them have a great life, and God, help them as he's pursuing his degree, and God, help them that people find life in his church, but God, forgive them as, or I, God, help me to forgive as you have forgiven me, and I forgive them. And daily when their name comes up, I remind myself that they are forgiven because Christ has forgiven me, and so I hold no grudge against them. You see, our ability to quickly forgive to quickly die to grudges, 
to quickly die to ourselves should be different because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if God dwells in us, the one who forgave us our sins, how much more should we then forgive? And I'm not saying you can do it by yourself. You must, by the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive because you have to be reminded that you were wrong. You have to be reminded that you were a sinner against God. You have to be reminded of your great debt that God paid for you, and he'll remind you of that. So when somebody wrongs you, when your patience runs out, when you want nothing but ill for this person, you can pray God's blessings upon them because God has blessed you despite the sin you sinned against him. You see, I'm not trying to make light of anything you have gone through. Some of you have gone through things that I can only bring tears to my eyes as you tell me what somebody has done to you. I believe it. I believe it 100%. But what I'm telling you today is that there is a freedom, there is a joy waiting for you when you can forgive this person knowing what God has given you in your salvation. You see, this is why Jesus says to count the cost to follow him. It's not easy being a Christian. I'm not here to tell you, hey, yeah, you know what? You can kind of do this if you want. No, no, no. Like Jesus is clear. We forgive because we've been forgiven, right? So this is why Jesus says, you know, and I, and I can't stand easy believism, essentially meaning that you can just, you know, say you're a Christian and be done and make it. No, no, like there's a cost to being a Christian. There's a cost, and Jesus paid for you in a, in a way that can, nobody could ever pay for, and so there's a cost to following him, and part of that cost is dying to ourselves enough to say, God, they wronged me like never before, but I forgive them. And God, I don't need you to strike them down. God, I don't need you to destroy them because God, because truthfully, if you think about it, this person could be your brother or sister in Christ one day. And you're gonna be in eternity with them. Or they're already our brother and sister Christ and they sinned against you and they're gonna have to deal with that with God. But on your side, you're dealing with whether or not you forgave them. It shows when you, we cannot forgive, it shows that we don't understand our forgiveness or may have experienced it. And it may show that the Holy Spirit may not live inside of you. And so who am I talking about today? I'm talking about that person who took your position at work. I'm talking about that father to your kids. I'm talking about the family member who you don't invite to family gatherings anymore. I'm talking about the old friend who did you wrong that one time. I'm talking about that pastor that hurt you and you ran away from the church for a long time post that. I'm talking about that person by whom you said you hope that they die. That same one that the idea of forgiving them makes you sick. But right now is the same person the Lord is, the Holy Spirit is putting and pressing upon your heart to forgive right now. And practically, you take the first step. And this is another way of counting the cost. Why? Because God took the first step with you, with me. Right, so practically that could be a phone call, it could be a text message, could be uh, unblocking them and then contacting them, could be unblocking their kids too and then you contact them, whatever it is, like you contact them and you say, hey, I forgive you. They may not even know that they wronged you. 
They may not even know, and yet you still say, hey, I forgive you. I'm sorry. The reason that I've been so cold is because I was holding this against you. And, and man, if this person loves the Lord, they're going to say, I'm so sorry. I had no clue that you've been dealing with this this long. And I am so sorry myself. Will you forgive me for wronging you? You right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to say, Father, I forgive so-and-so. You don't say it out loud, so you know, in some case they might be here. Uh, <laughs> you talk to them afterward. But you just pray right now. I'm just going to give you a moment. And you just pray and you say, God, I forgive so-and-so. God, I forgive them. And later on, we're going to have people, uh, I'll be up here to pray. And Brother Larry, you want to come up here and pray? And, and we'll have people to pray with you this morning if you want, to, if you want somebody to pray with you. And, but just right now, you would say in your mind right now, God, I forgive so-and-so. God, I see what you have forgiven me. So God, I forgive them. And then every day, by that same power of the Holy Spirit and same understanding of your forgiveness, you keep forgiving them. We don't have time to hold grudges. We don't have time to withhold forgiveness. There are too many eternal things at stake right now. So let's take one last look at Psalm 139, starting in verse 19. It'll be up on the screen. The psalmist says this, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And then in verse 23, he says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We, like the psalmist, we see the wicked. We see the person who wronged us. We see it, because, but because of God's grace, we say with the psalmist in verse 23, but God, I see them. I see this sin. I see all of this, but God, search me. God, search me. Where have I missed my sin in my life that I am so blinded and I think everybody else is far worse than I am, but really, God, search me, expose me, remind me that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and that you paid for my sins, and so God, search me so that I can forgive these people, so God, I can deal with them because, God, I need to deal with me. And then he says, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There is an everlasting way and life of freedom and joy waiting for you when you just forgive this person who wronged you and you truly forgive them and you hold, never hold it over their head by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.